The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. The UCAP gang covers a lot of ground this week. They talk about the ways that aviation is being included in education, the FAA's plan to improve NOTAMs, more on buying aviation headsets, and oh, by the way, Jack was right. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 32. What happened to Waldo Pepper? The Orlando approach and the tension in this controller's voice as she's gone one minute left. I'm going to do some head scratching and see if this is just a local bureaucrat getting off the reservation. And expect them to be a little picky about why you want to be there. You show up and say, you know, this will be a great place, particularly when you pave the runway. Doubt seriously they're even going to offer you a cup of coffee. (laughs) Here's my question for the day. Yeah. Position and hold at a non-towered airport. Yeah. Is that discussed in the AIM anywhere? I don't know. What, 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 uh, what's your question? Is it allowed? Are you supposed to read it back? Or, uh... On Towered Airport, it's kind of impossible to read it back. You can announce it Wait on the Wait a minute. Position and hold yeah. at a non-towered airport? Yeah. That's not illegal. and It's, 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 it's uh, not illegal. It's not recommended, not though. No, it's not smart. But I've got, a, I've got a letter to the editor here from the guy saying it's illegal. I don't, I don't think so, dude. No, no, yeah, position hold, you position and do a 360 is what you do. Well, that's, there's a lot of ways to skin that cat. Anyways. Yeah, I was going to say, you can do your 360 if there's room to the side of the runway. You don't actually have to do it on the runway. I, I, I never do a 360. I always park in the run-up area where I can see the final approach path. But I'll do the 360 when there's room. Yeah. When I have the space, I'll do it. Because yeah. then I can look at downwind base and final. Yeah. Well, and you're exactly. kind of talking about a position and hold any time you uh, taxi to the departure, back taxi on a runway to the departure mm-hmm. end. So, That's should we be point. having this discussion now? Well, no, this is interesting. You can tell which one of us is the CFI, though, can't you? (laughs) Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode number 32 of Uncontrolled Airspace. We started without you, but we'll let you catch up, so it'll be okay. Uh, Quickly approaching middle age. That's right. Uh, I want to welcome everyone this morning to the virtual hangar, recording this show on uh, Thursday morning. What is today? June June 4th? 7th. Is it really the 7th? It is the 7th. Yes, it really is. Where have you been this week? My goodness, time flies when you're having fun, huh? Um, A couple of days ago was the anniversary of the Battle of Midway. Yesterday was the anniversary of D-Day. That makes today the 7th. Today's the 7th. With us this morning in the virtual hangar, David Higdon. Dave is talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Dave, of course, is an aviation photographer, a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Hi, Dave. Hi, everybody. Morning, everybody. Good day, everybody. It's almost the weekend. So you don't do the 360? Yeah. Well, I don't don't taxi on the runway until I'm ready to push the throttle. Yeah. Right. So you feel like Uh, you can get a good... Unless I'm back taxiing on a runway where there's no parallel taxiway. Uh huh. And then I got to go down there and sit uh, for you know long enough to do a quick run up and a prop check. Then I will 360. Uh huh. I see. Okay. Also with us this morning, yeah. Jeb. I mean, I've, I've done 360s in that mode. Yeah, yeah. But but just uh, taxiing from the run-up area onto the runway, I don't do a 360. Uh-huh. 
And that is Jeb Burnside. Jeb is talking to us from (laughs) Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving serving as editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine and also as a contributing editor to AvWebBiz. Good morning, Jeb. Morning, Jack. Good morning, Dave and Amy, and good morning to our listeners. Uh, it's hey there, hi there, ho there. Beautiful day here in uh, Northern Virginia, and I uh, hope everybody's getting some uh, good flying in this spring. Mm-hmm. And also with us this morning, the the only CFI among us, so perhaps the only one who really knows what she's talking about, uh, or at least is trained to sound like she knows what she's talking about. There you go. <laughs> is Amy Laboda? Amy is talking to us. You're you're in Fort Myers, right? That's correct. From Fort Myers, Florida. Amy is the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine and is also a contributing editor to EAA Sport Aviation. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. It's uh, great to see you guys. And yes, the sun is shining down here. Oh, a weather report. I was going to try and stay away from that. Okay, the weather is shining. That's nice down there in, in Florida today, huh? A little on the steamy side. We're hoping for the rain in the afternoon. Hurricane season has started early this year, hasn't it? I mean, we've already been a couple of tropical storms, and I, I just this June is the, one. No, it started June one. You're having whole trouble with this week, aren't you? It's, well, it started it started Friday, and and the first day of hurricane season in Florida saw a tropical storm coming from the Gulf. But uh, but didn't we see one like back in May too? There was like one that that didn't. There, there, there was, that was a subtropical storm. They they couldn't right. get their 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 handle on that, could they? Uh-huh. That was your storm wasn't it? it yeah it, yeah it made it up the up to up the coast and we got some rain and and so forth after that thing so well, and, and that, that one in florida this weekend actually the faa had had it in a holding pattern out over the atlantic for three Just days so waiting on me to go to florida yeah, Wait, yeah. Well, waiting for the hurricane season to start you no, can't come no, in no. without hurricane they season. were trying to determine the billing address so they could send the user fee bill there you <laughs> that would be correct that would be correct yeah. no it was it was much needed rain we're in a terrible drought down here uh we need 40 inches this summer to catch up wow. that's what that's what we've been told apparently you guys need to talk to wichita because they're yeah we're running way ahead down here uh and and rivers around the state are just now getting back in their normal banks uh after about a week that saw a lot of flash flooding and a not a lot of non-flash flooding in northern parts of kansas uh river here in my neighborhood is protected by a diversion channel and it's still got uh uh Way above normal. Uh huh. So we need like a, a a big garden hose or something really long. Well, the, the the beaver dens all had to put snorkels up, so that'll tell you how <laughs> high the water was. Hey, the Romans knew how to do this. They just built aqueducts. Aqueducts, yeah? right? Yeah, you know. There you go. And and you guys in Florida are you know kind of elevation wise lower than anybody else. Florida amazes me. Florida is like. Florida is like one great big huge sandbar, right? I mean, it, well, it's a big limestone sponge. <laughs> no, it's limestone. That's that's basically what it is. is and it really? I know it's limestone because I couldn't even bury my electric cable without using dynamite in my backyard. <laughs> really? I didn't realize that. I figured it was truly sand from because every every now and then you see the kind of you know beneath the grass and the, you know the the plant life you see sand and no, it no. looks. No. We're actually drinking Jeb's water. We're drinking yeah, water that comes from the Appalachians through a big, giant underground aquifer. Okay, no, and, drinking Jeb's and it, water is a truly scary concept. But uh, yeah. 
there, there's too many opportunities for mischief in this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Maybe we should maybe we should move back on topic. Maybe we should Let's move talk on. About aviation. Maybe we should move on. Well, before we talk about aviation, I just want to remind everyone we'd love to have you come and visit us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. Uh, a lot of information there. The show notes for all of our past episodes, including this one, which it's not exactly a past episode, but you get the idea. Um, the it blog, will be as soon as you listen to that's it. That's right. The blog is there, which is uh, really kind of becoming a real uh, active place these days. Not only with us posting, but with a lot of uh, visitors to the website posting comments. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on if we have, if we have a chance. The email address, if you want to send us uh, uh, some feedback, is there. Also, the telephone number for our listener line is there. And the place, if you want to subscribe to our reminder email list to be uh, given a little reminder when uh, a new episode is posted, is there. And also, new this week, we've added a new feature to the website, which is an aviation calendar. Um, it suddenly occurred to me that on every episode, we talk about different things that are going on around the country, and maybe we should write it down. So we've created a new section. There's a link near the top of the page called, I believe it's called Aviation Events or something like that. And uh, we're going to try and post uh, information that we come across about different um, aviation events around the country. And I think it's going to be not just national events, it'll be local events. Um, we're going to have to get a list of the Ponca City breakfasts. we got to get those in there. And uh, anybody else? Yeah, the national, national events don't need help from us. Yeah, so. That's right. So um, There are a number of lists. Or AOPA has a pretty good roundup of a lot of this yeah. each week. But we're going to find the ones that are kind of have the uncontrolled airspace feel to them, you know, and uh, and we'll list them there. And if you are out there listening to this, I don't even know what to say about that. And we're gonna, if you are out there listening to this, and and your <laughs> airport or your airport group or your pilot group uh, has some sort of event that they'd like to get a little bit of publicity for, uh, send it to us at podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. and uh, we, assuming it's uh, it's uh, you know appropriate, we'll add it to the events calendar. So that's the new. Anybody feature. ever? Anybody ever notice how different aluminum feels when it's wrapped around an airplane versus when it's wrapped around a beer? <laughs> okay. Well, it's like, what, 10 o'clock in the morning? And, uh, you know, there's a whole podcast. Oh, no, we're going to get in. There's a beer podcast, Dave. We'll have, to, <laughs> we'll have to get you signed up for the beer podcast. That would be appropriate. Oh, no, there. I'm still drinking coffee this morning. It just dawned on me that, I- uh, it, that, that a hangar party the other night. Uh, we were sitting around all these metal airplanes drinking beer, and the metal aluminum in both sub, you know, both the cans and the airplanes felt entirely different. I'm certain that I've flown a couple of airplanes in the past that are now beer cans. I think I've flown some beer cans that are now airplanes. <laughs> well, you can visit us at the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. What's going on in aviation? See, I'm just going to move things along here. I told you. Yeah, we're not you, gonna, got, you got to. You we're going to try and keep this thing moving along. Probably here. a good idea. I came across a cool story, uh, sort of the last thing this morning when I was putting my notes together, um, and I think this is kind of neat. Uh, there's a, uh, a Wisconsin high school has uh, – let me see if I can bring this story up here on my screen. Uh, Wisconsin – is it – I get a 404 on yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Hang on, I can fix me that. Me too. Uh, but uh, there's a Wisconsin high school which has decided... Man, that's just not even nearly the right URL. Well, anyways, we'll have to find it. But there's a Wisconsin high school that is uh, has decided to make building an airplane and a whole bunch of other av- aviation uh, uh, history and aviation technology part of the curriculum. And uh, it's going to be apparently like a, a, a you know multi-year thing where they uh, use aviation as a way of enhancing the the teaching at the school, and uh, they're actually going to build a uh, build an airplane, and uh, it sounds cool. 
Yeah. Do, uh, yeah and, you know what's about where that airplane came from uh, that they're going to build? They actually told, and and and, and I, I may I may edit out our little pause here, but I'm going to do a quick search here and see if I can find this. Uh, because Lynn Freeman is uh, has created this wonderful build a plane organization. Thank build you, Amy. I was just looking for his website to pitch that. Yes, buildaplane.org. Uh-huh. Tell, tell us a little more about that. It's, it's a program designed to do just what this Wisconsin high school is doing, which is to pro- provide opportunities for kids to build airplanes all over the world. And what they do is they solicit airplanes whether they be plans-built airplanes that didn't quite get built, whether they're uh, Avemco donated 15 airplanes from the Katrina catastrophe um, that can be worked on. They're not meant to be flown, uh, to be rebuilt. Um, they've had full kits donated to them from uh, places like Indus Aviation. And um, they have turned around and they've given those projects to schools, clubs, all over the world, and they're supporting them in their, in their energy. They're also beginning a um, high school curriculum to go along with these projects, and they're working with, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was that Dave, uh, is it uh, Flabob Airport? In California, yeah, Flaybob, yeah, Flaybob, yeah, down in uh, near sort go. of Southern California, and uh, where there is a dedicated aviation high school, uh-huh. and they're using that as their uh, uh, skunk works. Oh, very cool! Cool. Have you ever been to Flaybob Airport? Are there any of you guys? That's my oh. recollection. Flaybob's no, a great, uh, great airport. It's, it's the home it's, of it's, it's legendary. Yeah, it's the home of EAA Chapter One, and. Oh. Uh, um, and it's this great grassroots little. I mean, I haven't been there in many, many years. It might have gotten, it might have grown up since then. But it. Is that in Bay Area. Say again. Bay Area. No, Southern California, more LA area. Southern but California, yeah. yes. Um, but not. Well, they've got some great stuff going on, like uh, uh, in LA at Norwalk High School. They're working on uh, rebuilding a, a Star Duster II, uh, Batavia, Ohio. Uh, an Explorer Scout in EAA Chapter One Seventy Four are uh, rebuilding a Luscom Eight A airframe. Yes, uh, and those are all build a plane projects. Right. Uh, another one's a Sonex. Uh, you know, it's really all over the map in terms of the projects uh, that they're working on here. But uh, get a hold of them if you've got a project that uh, you're no longer enamored with uh, or you know of one that, uh, you know, could be salvaged and, and made into a, an outstanding educational opportunity for some more of the kids that could turn into some of the aviators and mechanics of tomorrow. It's buildaplane.org. Uh, tell Lynn Freeman that he, he could have been pumping this himself if he'd have showed up for our Summit Fund interview. That's yeah. right. Um, and if you guys refresh the uh, the uh, show notes page, uh, the link should work now. And it is to, I believe it's Spooner, Wisconsin. It's Spooner High School. And the uh, story is from the Spooner Advocate. Uh, and they it says uh, uh, they're setting their sights high at Spooner High School, very high. Even as the current school year draws to a close, plans are underway for a new tech ed project that literally will soar into the clouds. Spooner High School and the community of Spooner have decided to take on a new challenge that will educate and encourage students and community members alike. They're going to teach about aviation. They're going to build an airplane. Let's see, lower down in the story here, it tells what airplane they're going to build, uh, which is a... Uh, a CX-701 STOL plane? Um, That's is that a, a Zenith? 
Uh, yeah, basically a high wing. Yeah. And, oh, that's, uh, a, that's a Zenith airplane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. Zenith. that's a Stoll 701. It's actually the CH-701 that, you know, they can be forgiven for making yeah. it a CX. And uh, this is a great story, and uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, the proper link in the show notes, not let make uh, listeners chase it around. But uh, um, if you read the whole story, one part that's interesting is that uh, it's not simply, you know, some proactive teachers, you know, kind of putting this together. It, it had to be sort of approved indirectly through a town curriculum. And uh, so, uh, you know, it's just, I, I think it's a great story. And more towns ought to realize that aviation is a really great, exciting way to get kids interested in science and math and, and teamwork and all sorts of good things, uh, either individually, like like Spooner, or through the program that we were just talking about. It would be interesting to learn how they got that approved in the through the curriculum process. I, it would be interesting, although I'm, I'm guessing that, that they probably had to promise never to try and fly the airplane. Oh, I don't here know. it is. Uh, Willie Kaufman, a member of the school board and a talented flyer and instructor himself. He's probably the driving force behind it. Yeah. So, great story. Congratulations, Spooner. Uh, and uh, and I, I know there are other schools around the country doing similar things. That's just one good example. Well, if they're still trying to uh, wrestle with what to do with the airplane once it's finished, uh, notice that they were debating uh, that outcome. Uh, you know, they might consider this suggestion there at Spooner. And that's to put the airplane into a uh, flight training program uh, with a... a, a a suitable CFI, and start like letting high school kids work on their light sport tickets in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. So, what else here? Uh, over the past few months, we've talked a bit on and off about uh, uh, Air Ventures' uh, movie schedule this coming summer, and particularly about the uh, the little survey they had to pick the most popular aviation movie. And uh, EAA's announced Ooh, yes. the actual <laughs> schedule. Of the, what's that? Boo, yes. Yeah, I know. Well, now, the the emphasis there should be on the word popular. And that's why I expressed it that way. It was the most popular movie. Well, they've announced the complete schedule of all seven or, uh, I believe, seven movies they're going to show this summer. Um, they're going to show uh, Wings, the classic, uh, uh, very, very early aviation, or very early movie about aviation. Uh, they're going to show 12 O'Clock High. They're going to show Top Gun, which was the voted the most popular. They're going to show Spirit of St. Louis, the great uh, uh, Lindbergh movie. Uh, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, which is, uh, what, Doolittle, I believe, right? And right. Yep. Yep. Jimmy Doolittle. Apollo 13, which, great movie. I'm not sure if that's quite... But, you know, they're into astronauts and stuff at, uh, at, at Air Venture. Um, and uh, Flying Tigers, John Wayne. So, Does anybody uh, else see an obvious um, uh, A, omission, and B, theme? Well, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, all of our favorite movies are missing from the list. There's an omission. What, what's the one you see? Well, the, the, the theme is just military war, that kind of thing. you got Top Gun, 12 O'Clock High. Except for the Spirit of St. Louis. <clears throat> Except for Spirit of St. Louis. Uh, I don't know Wings, per se, but uh, anything that early has got to have some military. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a World War One, <laughs> World War One biplane dogfighting movie. It's really cool. Yeah. It's very well done, um, especially at the time. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pacifist or anything like that, but it, there, there are some other aviation movies out there that do not have a, a military theme to them. 
Yeah, I hadn't noticed that. Um, that is an interesting theme. I, I was curious to see whether how careful they were to make sure that there were, was no stars that repeated in two different movies, and there do, doesn't appear to be, you know, and I don't know if that was a factor or not, but anyways, that's the schedule of movies this summer. It's a, um, They are great movies. Uh, all of them are, are fun yeah, movies at the very least, and, and a ha- at least a few of them, in my view, are great movies, and uh, and, and that's, as oh, we've said before. These are all great movies, yeah. so uh-huh. no way oh, yeah. But I'm not sure how we wound up with, you know, with, with without the great Waldo Pepper. Right. I, I, that's that was that was my candidate for the uh, on the list, and it's not on the finals. So I don't know what's going on. Well, well haven't they showed that before, recently? Did they show it last year? Did they show it last year? I, I don't recall. I don't I'd remember. Have to, I'd have to look it up again, but I I'd suspect that um, that plays a little bit into their selection too. Yeah. Oh, I, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, and, and they've Thanks. only got seven slots. Although maybe we should try and convince them to do double features, right? So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh man, would that be late? You, you know how late it gets dark there in July. I mean, yeah, I know. You can't even start the movie until like eight, eight, eight thirty-ish, probably, and uh, even then, oh, it's still it was, fairly light, right? Yeah. It was almost nine o'clock before it was dark enough for me to get a shot of the uh, uh, the uh, first cartoon they showed on the first night of the theater last year. Uh huh. So we'll put a link Some, to something this. where the cartoon would actually show up on the on on the shot. Right. Yeah. We'll put a link to the uh, airventure.org story announcing the list here and then the picture here. This may be actually one of your pictures, Dave. It's a picture of the crowd with the movie screen in the distance. And uh, we're all starting to get excited. At least I am starting to get excited about yeah. Airventure, and uh, it should be oh, a big time. Should be a lot. Oh of fun, yeah. As usual. It's going to be a busy, busy year. I'm, yeah. I, I know I'm going to be busy, so I can only imagine you guys will. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I wanted to remind people about was when they're coming across the border this time, uh, passports. Yeah. And that also goes for us. I was uh, had to had to renew my kids' passports this spring. You know, kids' passports are only good for five years. Yeah. And let me tell you, I did that in March, and I still don't have their passports. Really? It's Get still out. being processed. So I wanted to put out there to people that they are now saying you have to give 12 weeks minimum That's ridiculous. to get a passport renewed. Unless you're going to go the expedited and pay the you know triple fees and things like that, so for all of you people who were thinking you were going to pop over to Canada and pop back while you're up at uh, up in Wisconsin, um, check your paperwork because yeah. coming back could be an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you yeah. without the passport. yeah, the Canadians won't have any trouble with you coming in. Oh, no, you can stay there as long as oh, you want. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I just pulled mine out, happened to have it handy. Mine expires next year, so that's something I'll have to consider doing here. Uh-huh. So, you're, already, you're already, by next you're already year, they'll have the it curve. figured out. Yeah, um, but but it is a point that that's got my eyebrows raised. Now there is a on the passport website, you can check the progress of your application. Um, if you're within the first four weeks of when you sent it in, don't be surprised if they don't even have it in the system yet. This is what I found. But eight, nine weeks into it, what uh, what I discovered was that they had finally put the passports into the system, and I'm still waiting. Yeah. It's June, guys. You went yeah. to a post office, right? Uh, no, I actually went to the clerk of courts. Clerk but of courts, that's, okay. Yeah, which is what you have to do in our town. You can't do it at the post office anymore. Hmm. Well, there's a hedge. there's a hedge here that, you know, won't – 
make it instantaneous, but should cut a little time off the uh, 12 week. And for those of you that have the wherewithal or the convenience, you can go to a passport office that the State Department runs. I, I, I got my first one in my renewals at the passport office in downtown D.C. And uh, that shortened the turnaround considerably uh, because you- it goes into the system right there while you're there. You can't just walk in there anymore, though. Dave. Really? You've got you've got to make an appointment, and for me, that would be a trip to Miami. Right. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, you have uh, to make an appointment to go to a physio nowadays, too. So. That's exactly right. That's exactly uh, right. It's progress, right? Not to get a passport, but we get your point. Yeah, and uh, I wonder yeah. if the the passports are delayed. They've changed the passports now that we're really going to stray out of, into a non-aviation rat hole. But uh, RFID chip. Yeah, there. these RIFID chips, and uh, I wonder if maybe that's what's slowing it down. That, uh, no, I can tell I you right now what's slowing it down. It's volume. No, it's never been before that people just going to Canada yeah. had to have a passport. So that alone well. is going to slow things down, yeah. Yeah. But apparently, you you only need a passport to come back from Canada if you're f- coming by air. Um, someone yes. told me that if you're driving back, right. you can right. still use your driver's license and whatever, your regular ID, um, like you've always been able to do. That it's, makes that is correct. Sense. You can use your TB patient's ID card. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's pretty scary. Fortunately, fortunately, I can control who gets in my airplane. Well, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. Let's and, see. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and just so you know, the State Department wanted to go get him in Europe. They yeah. they were going to send a well, private one of CD, their CDC. CDC, yeah, wanted to go get him, and somebody at CDC said, "No, we don't need to do that." So, yeah. I. Uh, he's saying that they told him that they'd come and get him if he came up with a hundred and some odd thousand dollars for the charter. Oh, money. Yeah, <laughs> money, that's, that's money, part money. of the equation also. But uh, the punchline is CDC did have a Gulfstream standing by, or on lease, I should say, that they used for such purposes and would have been happy to go get right, it. And they've got a budget for that, but apparently they're allergic to spending it, and they're working on an allergy cure. <laughs> I wanted to know whether that uh, that uh, uh, bizjet weight standing by where the pilots were in those bubble suits, you know, with the that's, that was that was where I was going with this, guys. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Anyways, okay. I wonder how those Gulf streams are configured. That's right. A, a, a pressurized cockpit, right? And uh, well, does the flight attendant have to wear a survival suit? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hazardous pay. Moving on, uh, last week we talked uh, about the uh, the wonderful uh, ATA uh, ad uh, explaining to everyone how general aviation fits into the airspace system and how, well, I'm sorry, I'm being, I'm being facetious here. But I just wanted to point out that um, we Facetious added, is good. Yeah, we added to uh, last week's show notes, and I'll probably put them in this week's show notes, an actual link. Put them link, in this week's again, yeah. A link to the actual uh, uh, commercial ad uh, that, uh, that you can look at. And it's, you know, uh, that was the first time I had a chance to listen look it all the way through it's even a bit more heinous than we described i mean it's just blatant actually yeah yeah it's just blatantly wrong and self-serving and and bad and and well we know that we, we know that uh you know that it's a real pariah in the business world because uh none of the usual companies would approach it for licensing rights <laughs> it's going to become a Saturday morning cartoon, right? Well, actually, it Saturday is. morning cartoon with you know the the little uh, model airplanes on the shelves. Uh, you know the old grandpa seven fifty seven complaining about that upstart uh, uh, citation. Uh, you know 
muscling its way through and spewing its exhaust all over it. Poor old grandpa. I think that may actually be where it came from, um, I, or be inspired by. There was a, uh, there, there is, or at least there used to be a Saturday morning kids cartoon that had those kinds of, of you know, kind of characters in it and that sort of animation. And uh, um, I don't know if maybe it's you know. Maybe we start auditing Saturday morning TV, kids' TV shows to make sure they're not teaching kids the wrong things about aviation. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's a shame AOPA's counter ad couldn't have uh, featured you know a somewhat similar cartoon, maybe done by the guys who do South Park. That's right. Uh, That's right. It, South Park it, with it, Phil Boyer as a character, right? <laughs> well, no, it's just showing a showing a queue of airliners waiting at a big airport. And, uh, and, and and these little jets, little business jets and piston airplanes flying overhead, coughing and wheezing at the exhaust going, damn, I'm glad I don't have to land there. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and showing, you know, something like a Mooney way at the back of the queue, sitting in the jet exhaust and kind of going, man, I thought they only let 50 off an hour and 100 showed up. What are these guys thinking? That's right. <laughs> You know, all kidding aside, in this day and age of, of user-generated content, uh, there's probably pilots out there who are also video savvy who could create some, you know, sort of YouTube uh, type. Who said, uh, who, who said I was kidding? Okay. Right. Well, then we should well, encourage that. Know, if the, Yeah, go ahead, uh, Amy. Absolutely. I, I was going to say, you know, the counter, the counter commercial has already come out uh, with the Alliance for Aviation uh, that's come together and is a, a group that are, are – are a lobbying force now of all of the different um, right. general aviation factions, and uh, they, oh yeah, we've we've talked about them here. We like them. Oh, yeah. yeah, and and they have also registered a formal protest to CNN Airport Network. Uh, how can you run such a clearly um, dishonest commercial? Yeah, yeah, because it's CNN, the most trusted name in news. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see now. So, well, we'll find that one then. We'll have to find a link to that commercial and put it on the in the show notes too. So, uh, has has CNN Airport Network responded in any fashion? Do we know? I had not seen that as of today. Yeah. I have not. Nor I. Nor I. We'll have to look into that. What's next here? Uh, so there's a story in the news over the last week about how the FAA has announced that they're going to kind of bring NOTAMs into the 21st century. And uh, I don't know if this is going to skip right over the 20th, huh? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. So uh, let's see. This was an AvWeb story. I don't know, Jeb, did you write this? I, you I did not write it, no. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know. So it's, uh, let's see. Now I put a link here to the actual original FAA story, which they just talked about. Be- Go ahead. I would be delighted if they could just get the NOTAMs right, yeah. much less anything else. I can tell you stories about about um, citation shares and 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 you know corporate jets going to airports where the NOTAM was never released, mm-hmm. but the airport was closed and having to turn around mm-hmm. and land somewhere else. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because Local because NOTAM was never put out. Uh, probably because the card swiper wouldn't read when they were trying to pay their user fee for the NOTAM. Yeah, I mean, they, it's... They can it, have a reservation to, to go to the FISDO and sit down and, and actually issue the NOTAM. Well, I'm, and I'm talking about Westchester County Airport. I'm not talking about Podunk Airport in Missouri somewhere. I I'm heard about, about this. an airport that, that can be a real problem, and it not being a, a just one-time issue. Well, there's, there's a market definitely out there for someone to – and an AOPA does a pretty good job. Other other entities do a good job also of taking um, TFRs, for example, 
yes. and, and translating them into clear language and actually listing the airports that are affected. The FIA doesn't even do that. Yeah. I have, I'm on their alert system, yes. and every time there's a TFR that, that's coming to my neck of the woods, AOPA sends me an email. Yep. tells and, me to yeah, look it up. We're going to have one here in the Wichita area in a few days uh, because uh, some guy that lives in Washington, D.C. is coming out here for a dedication. And uh, I forget his name. <laughs> uh, well, we've got one tomorrow because uh, we have the theory of a space shuttle launch. Right. Yeah. Um, so I just want to, I'm going to, I'm going to channel Dave Higdon here for a second and point out the part of the, this, the FAA story about this fixing the NOTAM system that caught my attention is, and I, and I, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is totally sinister, but it gives you an idea of mindset. All right. In the FAA story, they refer to, well, here, I'll read the line. It says the FAA has decided to modernize the NOTAM system after hearing concerns from customers. They repeat it. They don't. They don't. They refer to users of the system not as pilots, or they refer to them as customers. All right. Yeah, right. That's the uh, the, that's the business always does it smarter than government. Yeah, and they and they actually take the metaphor one step further, or or they reinforce the metaphor um, later on by talking about how they want to create a system that provides one stop shopping for aeronautical information. All right. And I don't know. See the the uh, channeling Dave Higdon. This is just you know more of this kind of user fee thinking. And uh, you know, going to try and charge us a la carte for you know, even though they don't talk about charging, that's not what this is about. This is more about you know making it more no, efficient. But the, the, the new structure that they're trying to put it into would certainly be uh, more uh, conducive to keeping track of who does where, who needs, who yeah. taps, and who to, who to bill. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm not suspicious like that or anything. No, no, no. Death no, no, by no. a thousand cuts. Well, you know, it may be the that when I renew my passport, it'll be the last time I need a U.S. passport. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, Jeb, but I can tell you that the one-stop shopping idea is also another way of keeping track of who actually checked the information. Uh, For instance, still today, the only way they can track whether you got a weather briefing is if you call Lockheed or if you go on Duots. Right. If you use ADDS, which is an official, they can't really tell if you checked or not. Well, and not to segue too far away from this, but uh, we've we've discussed in the past weeks uh, uh, some of the warm and friendly fuzzies we haven't got from the Lockheed changeover at yeah. flight service, and uh, have heard some from some folks and have seen some ink on the idea that it's made duots a lot more popular all over again. Because uh, it seems that in, in problem areas of the country where calling and filing is uh, hit and miss, DUOT's filing is pretty much running 100 percent. Right, it is. Um, one of the uh, problems you- here in the Washington D.C. area, if you well, want to go in, if you're cleared to and want to go into one of the D.C. three restricted airports, you have to talk to a human. There you go. Uh, right. Um, my experience um, has been fairly good. I, I will confess to not having done a whole lot of flying during the weeks, uh, uh, recent weeks when the uh, uh, problems were the greatest or reportedly the greatest. Uh, I will say, however, that uh, uh, the few times that I've, I've called flight service, the phone's been answered within three or four minutes and, and uh, I got good service. So I think maybe the hump, we're over the hump on some of this, but uh, clearly there were some problems. Clearly um, it's been recognized by the FAA and by Lockmart. 
what they're doing about it is anybody's guess, and whether they'll rear their ugly heads well, again is anybody's Well, AvWeb has reported, this is another story on our list, AvWeb's reported just the other day that um, that the FAA is now trying to fine Lockheed for the poor service. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's something I found last night through one of the local pilots lists here and forwarded on to AvWeb. And, uh, so uh, I don't know whether that's you know been going on behind the scenes and, and may, maybe you know some sort of contributing factor to to the you know flight service service getting better. And I don't know. Well, I, I can argue it. Uh, I had great service the other day. So and we were having problems. What I noticed was when you dial up, they ask you a couple questions. Now you push one or two buttons, and then they they direct you to a flight service station near you. Which state are you calling from? Uh, yeah, exactly. Parting from or whatever it is, yeah. Which doesn't do me a whole lot of good, really, sometimes, because uh, uh, when I'm going, say, from as I did uh, Sunday from Florida to Virginia, um, I'm, I might need to know more about the local area uh, issues in, in Virginia and the D.C. area than uh, anybody in Florida can tell me. I got routed to St. Pete, which is fine. I got, you know, accomplished what I needed to do, but... Uh, uh, there are sometimes when I I just call Leesburg directly. I was going to say, but you could you could circumvent that by simply telling them which state you wanted to connect to. So if you thought about it, it's not a bad system. According to this piece, the uh, the FAA has actually withheld three million in yeah. payments to uh, Lockmart, and uh, uh, but uh, if you don't have due odds. If you have any problems, uh, check it out. It's live and well. You're on the Internet all the time anyway. I mean, you're listening to us. Take a look. That's right. That's right. Let's see. A couple weeks ago, we talked about a cool little uh, airport in Indiana, Lee Bottom Flying Field. And, uh, Dave, you had some sort of update for us on something that's going on there? Yeah. uh, You know, Lee Bottom is is one of those idyllic places where you you take a look at it and go, man, that's just you know, too nice for words, and uh, wouldn't it be nice to live in a place like that? Because uh, if you go to their website, you can see pictures of the field there from the air. It's nestled up against the Ohio River in southern Indiana, and uh, about, uh, I guess, about 40 miles from uh, uh, east of Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Well, the folks that own and operate the place are considering uh, adding to the cabins that they have available for rent now or the camping that you can do when you go in there. Uh, they're talking about uh, possibly parceling out uh, uh, some of the land there to build homes and hangars. Very cool. uh, they're working on expanding the, uh, the land holdings to build a buffer around the airport uh, and are already working with some of, the, uh, some of the nearby property owners. This is by no means a done deal from their current newsletter. Uh, and expect them to be a little picky about why you want to be there. Uh, you know, if you show up and say, you know, this will be a great place, particularly when you pave the runway. <laughs> uh, you know, I doubt seriously they're even going to offer you a cup of coffee before they invite you to go someplace else. Right. Uh, but and if the don't, idea don't of walk living in there saying they need an ILS. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so, a great. Uh, it looks like a great field. It, yeah, the uh, website is uh, is leebottom.com, L-E-E-B-O-T-T-O-M.com. And like I Dave tell you, says, it's a beautiful. It's pictures. a beautiful part of Indiana. Uh, it's textured. It's got hills and knobs and valleys and rivers and uh, some great sporting lakes. And uh, you're close to Louisville, and you're not far from Indianapolis, and pretty close to Cincinnati. So. 
Uh, you can live in the country and still have a fairly uh, cosmopolitan life if you fly in and out or make the short drive. Uh, but uh, you're going to want to get in before dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's okay because you want to see the place. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. So check it out. If that's uh, ever been something that you've uh, uh, hankered for or fantasized about, uh, this isn't happening yet, and it's not a done deal that it's going to happen. But if the owners can find the right number of the, what they consider the right kind of people, and like I said, they're going to be a little picky, uh, then this could be the place for you. Yeah, cool. Let's see now. We got more mail. Uh, mail's coming in lots of different forms these days. Uh, last week we talked about uh, one listener who was asking about uh, buying a headset uh, for his uh, flying, uh, and we talked a little bit about that. And uh, I don't know, Amy, if there's anything you want to add to that, but let me first point out that a number of listeners and visitors to the website checked in at the blog and added comments, and there were a couple of different other perspectives on what to do about uh, buying an aviation headset. And uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to our conversation last year, last week, Amy. But but basically, we said spend a thousand dollars, get a good one. No, that's um, no, we didn't. No, no, no we didn't. Ah, see now they don't even agree with you. I don't agree with you either. Okay. <laughs> well, what you don't agree that that's the way to go, or you don't agree that that's what no, we said? No, because I didn't. I didn't have to spend a thousand dollars to get a good one. Now, I'll, I'll neither did I. I that, I'm, that's, I'm sort of being the devil's I advocate need, here. Go ahead. Amy. Yeah, I wear earrings. I don't know about the rest of you. Well, Jeb. Okay, but. I, <laughs> only on, only in the left. Week, anyway. Only in the left ear, Amy. You know that. <laughs> Anyhow, um, the, what I was what I was going to say is that I like the light speed. I yeah. I like having just that very light, nothing over my head and um, in the ear. But there are a lot of people out there that don't like the in the ear technology. I'm not one of them, so I found a headset that works really well for me, well, and you know, it didn't cost a thousand dollars. It cost half that. Yeah. You know, some people don't get past the uh, the headline on the ads. Uh, they they see in your ear, and they're sure it's an insult coming. So. <laughs> they think it's well, an FAA uh, promotion. Uh. <laughs> Ultimately, I'll tell you, it's not it's not as quiet as an active noise canceling headset. But over the course of a day, and let me tell you, I checked this out. I did a nine hour cross country last year. Beautiful day, all the way up the East Coast, ended up in Vermont, and I could not have done it with an over-the-ears right. headset. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and some, well, of them, Amy, some of them have great noise-canceling qualities, great noise attenuation, and I just find the way their ear cups fit my misshapen head to be uncomfortable even for a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, Amy, I bet you you can find uh, an over-the-ear headset that would, would be more comfortable. Oh, I'm sure I could, but I suspect I'd probably be up around nine hundred dollars. Well, well, yeah, you possibly not necessarily. Um, um, I have some of the older light speeds, the over-the-year style, and uh, uh, they've been very, very comfortable for me. Uh, okay. The uh, the bows that I have uh, actually is a little bit less comfortable. Um, the um, I've got new ear seals for it. Uh, I think they're actually redesigned as opposed to uh, simply a new copy of the older part, but uh, I haven't put them on yet. It, it's not that been that big a deal. I can fly all day uh, with either of, of those two headsets and not be uncomfortable. Now, you know, Dave's situation is, is uh, uh, apocryphal, perhaps. I mean, some people just have a differently shaped head, 
uh, uh, Amy, I don't know what yours is, but uh, and I'm not being critical or anything like no, that. No, no, no. I'm uh, smaller. One of yeah, the problems that you have is you get to a smaller individual, and the headset that fits you doesn't fit me. Yeah. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I know I've worn Jeb's light speeds uh, on some of the times when we've flown together. And ninety uh, percent of the people I know who have light speeds swear by how comfortable they are, but they are just hell on my ears for some reason. And uh, but then I got I got some old David Clark's, put new gel seals on them, converted them to A and R, uh, and they're not quite as nice as my Sennheisers. They're the they're by far the most comfortable ones I've got. But they've got nice big ear cups that fit way over the ears and nice spongy gel seals. And uh, the noise attenuation on them is great with and without the ANR. Uh, but those have been really comfortable for me. Uh, and a couple of the other brands I'm not going to go into. Uh, the ear cups felt okay, but this clamping pressure, you know, I wasn't sure if it was, if they thought I had a head up there or whether they were trying to meet a splice joint. <laughs> I, I've been trying to get my hands on a pair of new Sennheisers to demo them because I believe that that style of of over-the-head ear um, headset probably would fit me. I had Pelters, which did fit um, for a long time. Those were comfortable because, again, smaller head. But they were right. comfortable on me and not my husband. I have a very nice Telex active noise canceling headset that's very comfortable, but not for the longer flights. Yeah, on the my, longer uh, flights, I'm better off with nothing. My Sennheisers are my Sennheisers are, are are really quite comfortable. Now I will admit that I've never had to wear them for nine hours at a stretch, but I have worn them for uh, pushing five and a half hours twice in a day. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, let me tell you about the third hour of that second leg anything yeah anything would have been irritating as hell i was just tired of having something on my head and my butt wasn't too happy about where i was <laughs> so check out the uh I'm sorry you want to add something more to that um no, 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 but i think it's i think it's a it's a, it's a vibrant debate and it's a very personal issue yes. um well, and there, there are a lot there's a lot of selection out there you my just, advice to anybody looking for a headset is get your hands on it and wear it well, there you go go to that an was, air show as we talked about last week go to an air show where the vendors headset vendors are set up and and try them on uh listen to the ANR uh, um Okay, if you got friends with some different ones, get them to let you try them out on a, on a flight. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, um, we'd love to hear from more listeners. Check in uh, at the website, go into the blog, and find that particular posting, and, and leave a comment there. Tell us your experience. Tell us what headphone headsets you've, you're using that you like or ones that you've used that you don't like. But let us know how you feel about this and give us more data points. Let's see. We heard also last week, we heard from Ron from California, who reported to us that he had read an article about how controllers in the Southern California area were being told to not be friendly, so to speak, uh, to be very, very precise and just follow the terminology and phraseology right. rules. Um, and uh, he since then sent us uh, a link to um, the uh, two stories uh, regarding this. Uh, apparently, they are both from the Pacific Flyer uh, uh, aviation uh, newspaper, uh, tabloid paper, the size paper that's out there, um, that were reprinted on the landings.com website. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at those and digest them. Um, I haven't. It seems still to be pretty vague up in the air 
subject. Well, it is a written policy, and, and the two stories uh, do seem to corroborate uh, uh, Rob's uh, uh, input to us, or Ron's input to us, I should say. And uh, first of all, I'd like to thank him for following up with us and, and sending those along to us. Um, I'm going to do some head-scratching uh, personally, professionally on this and, and maybe talk to a few people and see if this is indeed uh, a national policy that's coming out or if it's just a local uh, bureaucrat getting off the reservation or, or, or what's going on. I, I tend to think that FAA has a few other things that it needs to worry about. Yeah. Uh, and that this is so far down the list of uh, priorities that uh, uh, maybe we should be focused on a few other things. Well, I, I think that's for sure. I mean, I think that I think that the the occasional friendliness and ca- I mean, it's, they're always friendly, but the the occasional kind of uh, casual conversation on frequency, I personally believe, adds to safety. I think that yeah. it, um, I think that it, it it encourages you know sort of interaction between the pilots and and the controllers, and and it it makes you know just for better cooperation, it just makes a better environment. And I think I think it adds to safety, assuming that it's not a very busy frequency. Um, if if they wants to make this an adversarial relationship this is a great way to go about yeah. it. not that's that, exactly not that they've right. shown any signs say. of that in the past yeah. it's it's relationship building exactly so the best thing and this is the flight instructor coming out and me the best thing an air traffic controller can do is make my student believe that there's another human being on the other side of that mic that cares about you when you're in the air well that's but, but, critical I, I completely agree with you, Amy. I mean, it, it, it's so much more pleasant feeling like you're dealing with a human being than feeling like you're talking to a bureaucrat who can't wait to be rid of you or, you know, really doesn't care whether you're there one way or the other. And all Forget I can say is looking at a machine. Yeah. Sometimes you feel like you're talking to my machine. Sure. I'm looking at the response from the FAA to the original uh, to the original piece, and 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 all I got to say is, is 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 an observation here is that the response uh, has all the warmth and character and personality that I would expect from somebody that's taking this tact. Uh, it is, <laughs> and, and and I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, you folks can read the link and you'll see what I mean. Yeah, so we'll put those in the in the show notes. Um, and Jeb, if you were so inclined to f- look into this through your sources and you know for whatever reasons, that would be pretty interesting to hear more yeah, about what's I'll, going on there. See what I can do to follow up. Yeah, we got uh, both audio comment and email from David from the Potomac Air Park. Is that the one that is near where you are, Jeb? That uh, it is. the one that has it's, great gas prices, right? It has great gas prices. It's also one of the DC three security restricted airports. So it's hard right. to get to. You have to have a secret decoder ring to fly in or out. Of uh-huh. Right. You can get great gas prices there, but first you got to uh, go through a number of hoops. Well, let's put it this way: Ulysses had to shoot an arrow through fewer islets on access. <laughs> you got to jump through to be able to get into Potomac and the other DC three airports. Right. Well, if I understood David's uh, uh, comments uh, and emails correctly, he's actually learning to fly a Stearman over there at Potomac That's Air cool. Park, and Good for him. Uh, and he sent us a, a, a very passionate and. Uh, and also kind of long audio comment telling us uh, this, his story and his experience, and it's really fascinating. Um, we're not going to try and play it here because it's really pretty long. Um, I think what I'm going to – it's also in two parts. He actually maxed out the voicemail system. So he, just, he was just telling his story, and all of a sudden our system cut him off. And he calls back in the second one. He goes, oh, I guess I'm sorry. And then he continued the story, and he, and he finished David, it. David, don't worry about it. We have a natural buffer to that among ourselves here, and that's when our cups go dry. We have to kind of break that's off right. the message. And- Speaking – 
I'm gonna so I'm gonna I'm gonna append the two uh, together, uh, and at the very least, I'm gonna post them on the website so that you could listen to David tell his story about uh, about his experience learning uh, to fly a, a tailwheel aircraft, particularly a Stearman. Which boy, if you're gonna learn, that's that's a yeah, handful that's... handful of an airplane, as I understand it, to to start your tailwheel training. But he's loving it and having a great time with it. He not only sent us an audio comment, he not only wrote us an email. He actually has posted on YouTube a video of him flying uh, the uh, the Stearman, um, presumably out of out of. Uh, Potomac, and uh, it's kind of interesting. The, the the interesting one of the interesting parts of the video. So he's in the back seat of the Stearman flying, and presumably an instructor or someone else is in the front seat holding the video camera, and and the camera initially is pointed straight ahead, so you see down the runway, and then you see up into the air as he as he lifts off, and then after they've kind of lifted off, the person turns the camera around, so you see the David, I guess, in the in the rear seat, and the big grin on his face. Is, <laughs> It's just, just great. Okay, I mean, you can tell he's having a blast, and uh, that's a the YouTube video again. The link will be in the show notes, and, and you can take a look at that. And uh, we'll try and nice. It's a nice little field. I've flown in and out of there a lot. Uh, very family oriented, uh, nestled in the, uh, residential section. Uh, um, but apparently, of- but apparently, a hotbed of terrorist activity. A hotbed of terrorist activity. In, in all in all seriousness. Um, that airport probably has a higher percentage of um, top secret clearances among the pilots and aircraft owners based there than any other in the world. I see. So I don't know how that. But we be. won't tell anybody. Yeah, really. Location, yeah. location, location. Oh, we go. can't talk about that. Yeah, right. Okay. So that's David from uh, the Potomac Air Park, and look at the uh, website for more on that. The the video alone is worth the uh, the few minutes that you. you and and, and real quick and dirty, David, that. Uh, Piper Pacer that you, you 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 thought you were considering as a uh, tailwheel airplane to start out with airplane ownership, uh, not a bad choice. Uh, nice little airplanes, hold their value well. Uh, it's going to be a little lighter on the controls than that Stearman. Yeah. yeah little- Yep. Well, we're starting to get to the end of our allotted time here. Um, now, there's one subject that I just had to bring up, you know, just because we want accuracy to be a big part of Uncontrolled Airspace podcast here. And uh, and this has to do with last week, we were talking a little bit about the early pictures of them building the new tower, <laughs> building the new tower at Whitman Field uh, in Oshkosh. And, uh, and we were kind of trying to analyze these pictures and trying to figure out, well, where is this tower being built? And Dave kind of with, you know, because Dave knows... <laughs> Dave, well, Dave shot the groundbreaking. Dave and... was at the groundbreaking, and we all kind of agreed that's where the groundbreaking was on a particular corner there. And I kept saying, but the pictures make it look like it's this other corner. And then we heard from uh, from our friend Rick at uh, at EAA who said, well, you know, actually Jack, well, actually he said both Dave and Jack were right. He said, he said the groundbreaking was in fact at the corner that we were remembering, but they changed their mind um, and and. You know, they moved it diagonally across. They the moved it diagonally across. I'm guessing, by the way, that this is because now it's inside the secure perimeter of the of the airfield. You know, I mean, during the rest of the year, because um, that's that's inside that gate that has that's the, a good the key that's code, a good insight. You know, um, and uh, I would be willing to bet that they suddenly got nervous about having the tower facility outside of the sort of existing perimeter of the air of the airport and uh, so they're building a diagonally cross if you're familiar with that corner um, at uh, Whitman Field uh, they're building it on the 
the southeast corner, which is sort of next to the uh, the FAA building. Um, it's noted if you've gone to Oshkosh a number of times, there's usually a big Exxon exhibit there, and uh, apparently the Exxon exhibit is going to be displaced because that's going to be where the new tower is going to be. So, mm-hmm. so as our friend Rick in uh, in Oshkosh pointed out, Jack was right. <laughs> it happens so seldom. I have to call attention to it whenever it does. Oh no, it happens I'm, all the time. I'm not going. What else is going on? We're running out of time here. Any uh, any other stories we missed? Uh, any sh- any short shout outs before we finish this thing up? Well, remember remember the launch tomorrow, guys. Uh, when the when the TFR goes out, it covers basically the entire Central Florida, Florida at least on the east side. Wow. Are they yeah, good at all the way into Orlando? It impacts half of Orlando's airspace. And and do they wow. do a good job of, of notamming this and uh, and and getting the word out, or is it, you just kind of have to know? Well, uh, like I said, AOPA because of the way I've got myself set up does a great job of getting the notam out. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, quite frankly, yes, you need to check your notams because it would be very easy tomorrow if you're flying anywhere north of Melbourne uh, and east of Orlando and Kissimmee, you could be impacted by that and all the way up past Jacksonville. And you get too far east and you could be impacted by a spacecraft. <laughs> well, yeah, but trust me, you'll be, you'll be escorted down before that. I've actually been in the air and seen a shuttle launch while I was going on the, on the west side of Orlando. You can still go around the west side. I was on my way to St. Augustine and had timed it such that uh, it was fascinating to be on the Orlando approach radio and hear her and the tension in this controller's voice as she's gone, one minute left, one minute left. <laughs> Kind of gives new meaning to the to the term "see and avoid," though. Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, we yeah, let me tell we, you. we saw one. We were uh, just about a beam that uh, tethered uh, aerostat up in uh, North Florida, uh, down southeast of Tallahassee, but before you get to Cedar Key, there on the uh, uh, Gulf Coast. That and, would be Cross City. <laughs> yep, there you go, Cross City, and uh, uh, we were probably ten or fifteen miles off the Cross City VOR, headed to Lakeland. And uh, saw the shuttle and knew that it was launching that day, but there had been some delays because of clouds, and it cleared up. And I was talking to uh, probably Jack's approach at that point, and it's kind of like, whoa, what the hell is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like that shot from Apollo 13 where it kind of just goes zooming right up past you, you know? That's right. Now, now, yeah. Dave, now, how thorough a pre-flight did you conduct? Oh, I'd done a complete pre-flight on that one. We'd already stopped for fuel twice. Oh, uh, okay. All right. All right. Anything else? No? Not for me, other than uh, um, just uh, noting the uh, the Glacier Girl. Oh, yeah. Uh, is is uh, going to be, let's see if I can open this link without crashing anything. Oh, yeah, it's going to recreate the, uh, the, original the ill-fated flight that wound it up on the on the uh, glacier at Greenland. Uh-huh. That's very gutsy if you ask me. It is it is, it is gutsy. I'm concerned also. I, I don't yeah. know if I would uh, take such a rare aircraft uh, uh, on such a mission, but uh, it's not mine, so I can't do much about it. Well, modern modern avionics and navigation gear makes it boatloads easier than it used to be. Yeah, but it's still uh, 1930s technology engines in that thing. Yeah, but you got to oh, figure yeah. it's going to be it's going to be taking it over hostile terrain. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I suspect oh, when it's going they're to be- over terrain at all, it's going to be hostile. You're right. <laughs> yeah. It would be it would be ironic if it crashed back on the ice, wouldn't it? I mean, it'd be, it'd be sort of like oh the, man, the, don't even don't go there. No. Or, not crash, but it had to make a forced landing or something like that. You know, which well, is how it started a- in the first place, right? It was a forced landing on the ice, right? What you, oh, yeah. it was several uh, several P-38s right. and a couple of B-17s that are still there somewhere. Mm-hmm. About three hundred feet down in the ice, right? right. Uh, and 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 Glacier Girls being accompanied by a a, a P fifty one Mustang that's making the flight over. They're going to go over. They're going to participate in the big event at uh, I believe Duxford, outside London, uh-huh. uh, that uh, kind of commemorates the Battle of Britain victory and and ha- what the Allies did during World War Two. Uh, then it's going to make its way back and uh, and be one of the. Uh, um, uh, his National Aviation Hall of Fame, I think it is, uh, top six picks in old airplanes, famous airplanes, and uh, people are going to get to vote on which one they think is the uh, the antique of antiques. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure it's all going to go great because there are going to be plenty of people watching over it and taking care of it and making that sure we'll have it, our oh, yeah. it arrives safely. Back, gets gets there and back safely. And in truth, yep. you know, in truth, I th- I like it better that it's flying. I mean, I, I, I do too. It's don't, an airplane don't. and it's meant to fly. And uh, you know, and you be careful yeah, and the, make sure you're okay. But it's better than making turning into some sort of static display. One of the I most agree. melancholy Oshkosh days I, I in my memory was uh, watching uh, uh, Paul Pobrezny make the last flight in EAA's P thirty eight before they retired it to the museum. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, man, if you've never heard one of those up close, oh yeah, uh, the, it, it's it's the same make and, and and somewhat the same engine that the fifty ones and the uh, uh, and a couple of other war, warbirds like the De Havilland Mosquito used, and the uh, the uh, sound is completely different. Yeah. It it definitely is. You can if you know the sound, you recognize it without even looking, and uh, uh, it's a great sound. Well. That's it. We're running out of time here, so uh, let's wrap this thing up. I want to thank uh, Amy for joining us this morning, as usual. Uh, you can Very learn- well. Thanks, Amy. Learn more about Amy and her work at, uh, at wai.org slash magazine. That's the website of uh, that's Whiskey Alpha India, and uh, uh, that's her, her magazine website. Thank you, Amy. Welcome. And uh, Dave Higdon. Learn more about Dave and his work at davehigdon.com. And finally, of course, uh, Jeb Burnside at uh, jebburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, and avweb.com. And I am Jack Hodgson. Learn more about my work at jackhodgson.com or techpopuli.net. That's my tech website. And visit us all at the uncontrolledairspace.com website. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you all again next time. Get out and fly this weekend. Absolutely. Me, I love the gray. And after days and days of sunny skies, like a song without a refrain. Oh, I miss the Florida rain. That old umbrella won't do you any good against the Florida rain. 